turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Remember in chapter 15, the king of Israel, Saul, has been officially rejected by God. That he and multi, he'd been moving in that direction, but then he failed to obey the commandments of the Lord, and then he failed to repent. And we ended last week in grief. It, you see in verse 35 that, that Samuel was grieving over Saul. And you see that the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king, that it was this great moment of, of tragedy for the people of God. But then out of that darkness, out of tragedy, as we enter chapter 6, we see hope beginning to come onto the horizon. That this passage introduces King David to us for the first time. But at this point, he's not the great King David, but he is a, a humble shepherd, completely unknown but God is beginning the process to bring him all the way to kingship. And so again, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I'll be reading verse 1 to verse 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning for our hearts that you tell us in this text that you don't look on the outward appearance, that you look at the heart. So, Father, we pray for my heart this morning that you would work in my heart, that my heart would be close to you, that, that you would work on all of my motivations and my desires as I open up this text today. And Lord, for everyone who hears, that you would work in hearts, that we can see hearts transformed and renewed by your word. And we pray that you would give us strength to understand. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we all have a mission from the Lord. And it can look slightly different for, for different people, but it could be a, a mission to your family or a mission to, to serve in your church or in your vocation or a mission to serve your, your neighbors, that we all have a mission to proclaim the glories of Christ to our friends and our families and our neighbors, that we have the Great Commission as part of our mission as individual believers within the church. But then we can face obstacles in fulfilling our mission from the Lord. That we have issues in our heart that, that, that get in the way of the pursuit of that mission. And that's exactly what we see in this text from Samuel. That Samuel was on a mission from the Lord. He was to go and anoint the second king of Israel, David, to raise up a, a new king to replace the, the king Saul, who had been rejected by God. But then we see that he had obstacles in fulfilling this mission from the Lord. He had grief, fear, and externalism. And so we're going to, to look today how Samuel overcame those three obstacles as he pursued his mission from the Lord. Grief, fear, and externalism. And so first, 
in order to fulfill his mission from the Lord, Samuel had to overcome his grief. And you can see how the, the Lord is going to help him do that in verse 1. Look there in your Bible at verse 1 in chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? And so as you see in verse 1 and also in the preceding verse, chapter, uh, verse 35 of chapter 15, Samuel was experiencing grief. And you could say that it's grief over the bad choices of someone that he cared about. That he cared about Saul. And so when Saul turned away from the Lord and refused to repent, he experienced this deep grief and sorrow within himself. And I'm sure that it was grief for Saul himself. It was grief for Israel. What does it mean for Israel to have a rejected king? It was perhaps even grief for himself. Remember, his children had walked away from the Lord, and then Israel didn't want him to be a judge anymore, so Israel walked away from him. And then he helped raise up Saul as king, but then Saul walks away from the Lord. And so, in a sense, his ministry is in shambles, that he is a complete failure of ministry, if you're looking at it just from an outward human perspective. And so you can imagine the grief, the sorrow, maybe even a, a form of depression that he was feeling deep in his heart. And it's important to say that it's not wrong to grieve as others walk away from the Lord, that we would be hard and cold in our hearts if we didn't feel any grief, that I think Samuel was right to feel this grief for Saul and grief for Israel. But as we start chapter 16, it seems that he's paralyzed by his grief, that he is unable to move forward. And so the Lord comes to him with a question, how long will you grieve over Saul? And I was reflecting on that over the week of what tone did the Lord use? It wasn't just a, a monotone. Was it, how long will you grieve over Saul? Or was it more of a gentle, how long will you grieve over Saul? And I imagine it more in this, this gentle pleading, in a sense, how long? And we learn something from this question one, that, that God states that he is in control. He's saying to, to Samuel, you can trust what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm not out of control. I'm still in control of history and the world. But then also by asking the question, how long will you grieve over Saul? I think he's saying that there is a time for Samuel to move on from his grief over the bad decisions of someone that he loved. It wasn't wrong to grieve, but then it would have been wrong to stay stuck in that place, unable to move forward with the mission that the Lord had called him to. 
And in this way, he reminds me of, of David. Remember King David, later in 2 Samuel chapter 18, faced the rebellion of his son, Absalom, who raised an army against his father, who was killed in the battle. And then when King David got word that his son Absalom was dead, it says in 2 Samuel 18.33 that the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That he was grieved over the bad decisions of someone whom he loved. And it wasn't wrong for him to feel that grief. But then as you enter chapter 19, he's still stuck in grief over Absalom, even though the battle had been won. And then one of his chief military advisors Joab comes to him and in a sense rebukes David and says, David, you need to, to stand up, <laughs> that you have a, a mission to fulfill from the Lord as king. And if, if you continue to sit and to wallow in your grief, you're going to lose everyone, the whole kingdom. And then David, of course, responded, seeing the, the wisdom of Joab's rebuke stood up and continued to pursue the mission that he had from the Lord. And again, we can say that there is a time to stop grieving in order to pursue our mission from the Lord. And I think that this has implications for us all this morning. That we also experience grief over the bad decisions of those whom we love. That maybe you have a, a child who has walked away from the Lord or a spouse or a friend, someone that, that you discipled and cared for, someone that you thought was walking with the Lord and then seems to have walked away. And so again, it's not wrong to grieve, it's right to grieve. But then we hear the question from the Lord in verse 1, how long will you grieve? over the bad decisions of this loved one in your life. This, this tender call from the Lord to continue to pursue the, the mission that we have from the Lord. And God is saying, you can trust my plan. You can continue to, to move forward with the calling that I have in your life. So again, Samuel had to overcome his grief as he pursued this mission from the Lord. But then he had a, a second obstacle to overcome in his life, that he had to overcome his grief in order to move forward with this mission. But then second, in order to fulfill his mission from the Lord, Samuel had to overcome his fear, his grief and his fear you can see the, the fear in verse 2. God tells him to go and anoint a new king in verse 1. But then in verse 2, he responds to the Lord and says, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And so you sense this 
justifiable fear. This isn't just, I don't want to tell my friend about Jesus because he may make fun of me, but this is, no, if I fulfill this call, this, this mission, I may be killed. Because you remember that Samuel had been really pushing the line of safety with King Saul in the last few chapters of this book, that, that he had been rebuking him on multiple occasions for his sin. And it's a, it's a dangerous business to rebuke the king, but yet he was bold in his mission as a prophet, but then he knew that there was a certain line that he couldn't cross, that if he were to, to go and anoint a new king to replace Saul, that that would be an act of treason. And that if Saul, who was increasingly becoming hardened to the things of God, heard about this, that it would mean death for him and death for those around him and maybe even death for the town where he was to, to go, that he sees the, the implicit danger of fulfilling this mission from the Lord. And so he's afraid. But then look at how the, the Lord responds to his fears in verse 2. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And as a, as a side note, this is an important principle biblically that, that when we are tempted, the Apostle Paul tells us that there is always a way of escape, that there is a way of escape to face temptation and not to sin. And the Bible is clear that it, it's a sin to lie, to speak falsehood. But here, God tells Samuel to only tell part of the truth. And so essentially, God is saying, don't tell them everything that you're planning to do. Tell them that you've come to offer sacrifice, which isn't a lie, which is true, but you can actually withhold part of the, the truth in order to preserve your own life. And so again, this is a, that's a side lesson, but it tells us something about how we can think about truth and, and falsehood as we follow our mission from the Lord. But I think at root, God is, is, is showing Samuel that there is a way forward, that yes, he is afraid, but God is sending him on the mission. God will tell him exactly what to say, that God will be with him on his mission throughout the entire journey, that he can continue to pursue this calling from the Lord. And in this way, he reminds me of Moses. Remember Moses when he came before the Lord at the burning bush, and he was told to go to Egypt and to bring up the people of Israel out of Egypt, that he was afraid. He said, no one will listen to me. How can I do this? And God said, I'll tell you exactly what to say. I will be with you at each step of the journey. And of course, it's the, the same for us today. That as we see our mission, our calling from the Lord, that we can face fear as well, just like Samuel in this text, that we can be afraid of what other people will say, what other people will think. We can be afraid of rejection. We can be afraid of failure. What if it doesn't work? And then it's easier to, to sit down and to wallow in our grief and to wallow in our fears than actually to step forward in the mission that the Lord is calling us to. But just as the Lord 
made a promise to Samuel that he would be with him and that he would tell him exactly what to say. That the Lord offers that, that promise to us as well. In Psalm 34, verse 4, David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. That that's the promise of God to you and to me this morning, that he can deliver us from all of our fears. And it's what Jesus says in Matthew 10. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious, do not be fearful how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That we also can move on from our fear as we pursue the, the mission that the Lord has set before us. So that's the, the second obstacle that Saul had to sorry, um, that Samuel had to overcome to pursue this mission. But then third and, and finally, in order to fulfill his mission from the Lord, Samuel had to overcome his ex- externalism. And I really struggled of the right word to use there this week. Externalism, um, seeing things as, as we assume, expectation, bias, uh, but I think externalism captures it where we're only looking at external visible reality, not at the true reality behind the veil. And you can see how this unfolds. In verse 4, you see how Samuel overcomes his grief, overcomes his fear. He goes on the mission from the Lord. He comes to the city, and they're afraid, trembling when he shows up. Maybe they know of the rift between Samuel and Saul, and they're afraid of the implications of him coming to their town. But he, he tells them exactly what God said for him to say. He said, I've come to offer a sacrifice. And so they consecrate themselves for the sacrifice. He brings the, the sons of Jesse in. And then the, the sons come before him, and he knows the, the future king is among the sons of, of Jesse. And then the first son, the oldest son, comes in. He sees Eliab, and immediately he thinks, this is the guy, that, that he's, he's tall, he's strong, he's handsome, he, he looks like a king. In modern terms, we use the term looking presidential, that, that he looks presidential, he looks kingly. And it makes sense that Samuel would expect this, because remember, the, the text said that Saul was tall, that he looked like a king. He's exactly visually what you would expect if you were trying to pick out the future king in a crowd. But then look at what God says in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. And scholars say that that phrase is one of the most important phrases in this entire book, that if you were to highlight the major theme of the books of 1 Samuel, this would be the, the major theme, that the Lord 
looks on the heart while we look on the outward appearance. And so you can see then this, this contrast. On the one hand, there's, there's outward appearance. That's what we see. It could be outward beauty or strength or intelligence or success or wisdom or charisma, religiosity, what we see on the outside in someone's life. In fact, that's all we can really see. But then on the other side, there's the heart. It's what Joel Beakey calls the command center of human activity, that the heart is where everything flows. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life, that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, that the, all of our actions, everything that we are, flow out of the heart. It's the, the center of the person. And ultimately, God is the only one who sees and knows the human heart. And that's why in 1 Kings 8.39, we read this, that to render to each according to whose heart you know, Lord, according to all his ways, for you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. God alone knows the heart. And that's why God declares of himself in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God sees and knows the heart, not just the exterior of our lives. And so then as you get back to the, to the text, you see how it's almost humorous that that he knows, okay, the, f- the first son, this is not the king. And then each son comes, and Lord, this, the Lord keeps saying, nope, this isn't him, this isn't him. And then they, they run out of sons of Jesse. <laughs> and, and then Samuel's thinking, wait, the Lord said it was going to be a son of Jesse, but there are no more sons of Jesse here. And so he's confused, wondering what he didn't understand about the Lord's word. And then he asked the question, any other sons that you haven't told me about? And it turns out that there is another son, and that he's still out in the, the fields with the sheep. And it says that he is the, the youngest, and that can also be translated the littlest in Hebrew, that the, the littlest is, is still out in the, the fields with the sheep. And so Samuel says, we're going to wait. We're not going to sit down until he comes and then you see the irony in when, he, when he finally comes in verse 12. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. And so it's funny that, that they were saying the Lord does not look on appearance. But in a way that it's not, you still can't say, well, the king's not going to be tall and strong. He's going to be kind of short and ugly. Uh, that, but we can't see from the outward appearance that he, he was still strong and healthy and, and handsome, that in a sense he still had a kingly look, but that's not what matters ultimately, that it's the heart, and it's the heart that the Lord saw all along. And so in this way, by God's grace, Samuel is able to overcome his externalism, his expectation of what the true king would look like. 
And I think that this is, is true for us as well, that, that if we're going to pursue our calling and our mission from the Lord, that we also need to overcome externalism, that we need to overcome externalism when we consider other people, that we are so prone to, to look at those around us and we focus on the beauty, the strength, the intelligence, the success, the wealth, the, the charisma, the religiosity, that we're focused on what we can see in those around us. But Jesus says in John seven twenty four, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And there's a, a great book on parenting um, called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And one of his points in that book is that parents shouldn't stop with just the exterior, or the outward behavior of their children, but they're always trying to get from the behavior to the heart and trying to reach the heart of their children. Because even though we can't see the heart perfectly, the, the actions of a person are the window to the heart. It says in Proverbs that, that the heart reflects the man. Again, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, but we're not content with just modifying behavior, but we want to reach the heart. And that's why the, the great Puritan Thomas Watson says that men judge by the heart of, or sorry, men judge of the heart by the actions. God judgeth of the actions by the heart. If the heart be sincere, God will see the faith and wink at the failing. And so we're not God, but yet the call is to, to seek to the heart of our friends and our family, not just the the external behavior. But then we should also seek to overcome externalism, not just as we consider those around us, but as we consider ourselves. That yes, we don't even know our own hearts perfectly. The scripture says that the heart is, is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But yet we have a better window into our own heart than anyone else does except God. But then we also are so prone to focus on the external, what's on the outside. We think about our beauty and what we look like, or our strength, intelligence, success, wealth, charisma, religiosity. And then this is compounded by social media where we can have a, a persona that we cultivate of this outward appearance to the world around us, but is saying, no, that's not what matters. It's the heart that matters. It's the heart that God cares about, that we should start with the heart. Not, am I going to church, or am I giving money to the church, or am I serving, or am I going through external religious duties, but, but where is my heart before the Lord to overcome our externalism as we pursue our calling and, and mission from the Lord? And this is ultimately what we see as we come to this meal today. That as we, as we come to the Lord's Supper, we're, we are challenged to, to move away from externalism. Because if we, we could go through the external motions of this meal, and it would do no spiritual good. But one of the reasons that we celebrate this weekly here at Hope Church is every week it gives us the opportunity to examine our hearts. Where is my heart before the Lord? 
Am I just going through external religious motions? Am I looking at the outside? Do I only want other people to look at the outside of my life? Or am I examining my heart? Where am I before Christ? Where am I before the Lord? But then as we come to this as, as believers, that we are given strength to begin to overcome grief. Because we see that Jesus endured grief for us in his suffering and his death. And we, we have strength here to, to overcome fear. That Jesus overcame his fear, saying, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And he did it so that we can have life. And, and it's here by God's grace that we overcome our externalism as well, because if we were looking at externals alone, we will miss Jesus. Because Jesus on the outside just seemed like an ordinary peasant, an ordinary carpenter, no form or majesty that we should desire him, no, no outward beauty that when you wouldn't pick him out in a crowd and say, well, that's got to be the eternal son of God who took on flesh to die for his people that it was glory veiled. But then with the eye of faith, you see, no, that this is the Savior. Not David who comes with, with beautiful eyes and, and strength before Samuel, but the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Son of David who comes with true eternal beauty and true hope in life for anyone who repents and trusts in him for salvation. And so if you're here and you've never repented and trusted in Christ, we're, we're glad that you're here, but we don't want to push you into externalism to go through these, this motion without true faith in your heart. And so for all of us, this is an opportunity to examine your heart before the Lord. And if you are not in Christ, wait, talk to us about what it means to follow Jesus. But then also, as you examine your heart and come to this, you're going to look in your heart and you're going to say, I have some, some bad motivations, uh, that my motivations are flawed. And, and I know that is myself, that every day I have flawed, mixed motivations. I know my heart is not always pure. But yet, as we come in Christ, that, that we come as those who are, who are weak, saying, Lord, work, do that work in my heart again today to renew, to strengthen me, to, to break down my grief, to break down my fear, to break down my externalism so that it can be Christ in all for me today. So you don't have to be a member of Hope Church or a Presbyterian Church, but one who is trusting in Christ, has made that public by being part of a church that proclaims the gospel, not bound by the action of another church from taking this, but one who can profess the faith that we hold together, and I'll grab my bulletin that fell on the ground over here, um, using the words of the Apostles' Creed uh, that is on page 9. So please profess your faith with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Because on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you can come down the center aisle. Mike and I will be over here. He'll be holding the, the juice, and I'll be holding the bread. I can break off a piece and give it to you. You could take the gluten-free here if you need that or something that's prepackaged with both the juice and the bread there. Um, Ernie, as usual, will go around. If, if, you have, if mobility is an issue, feel free to raise your hand, and he's happy to bring that to you. Um, but now let's pray as we come to this meal together. Father, I know that there are some here who are full of, of grief, and we recognize that it's not wrong to grieve, but Lord, we pray that we can continue to pursue the mission that you've called us to. Lord, we know that there are many who are afraid this morning for various reasons, but again, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you would overcome that fear in our hearts that we can continue to, to serve, whether that's serving a family member who's sick, or whether that's serving a, a child or a grandchild, or um, loving our spouse well, or serving in the church, or pursuing our vocation, where there's so many ways to serve. Um, but Lord, we pray that, that we would remember your promises never to leave us or to forsake us. And Father, we pray for you to always push us to the heart, to, to look at the heart, not at externals, that we're so prone to externalism for others and for ourselves. And so, Father, even as we come to this meal, that we can focus on the exterior, that this is ordinary juice and ordinary bread, that we know that Christ isn't bodily present here, but we know that it's not just the externals, it's not just what's visible, but this is pointing us to an invisible reality, that the Spirit of God is uniquely present with us as believers, that where two or three are gathered, that you are, are with us, and that you, you promise that the Spirit of Jesus is uniquely with us as we celebrate this to encourage and strengthen us. So, Lord, we pray that, that you would protect anyone who is not trusting in Christ from taking this in hypocrisy. But we also pray, Father, for renewal, for repentance, for faith, that that today could be the, the day of salvation for someone to turn to Jesus for the first time, to know that, that hope and that peace and that forgiveness, that freedom that we have, to, to see behind the veil, to see Jesus in his beauty and glory and power as the king, as the, the son of, of Jesse, the, the light of the nations. And so, Father, we pray all of this in his name. Amen.
So now please stand with me. We'll sing our final song, Across the Lands. God the Father, from before the world 